Father in heaven, um, thank you for spring break. And just thank you for the opportunity. Um, I guess RUF had to go to Greece, but all these other students, uh, I know they probably went various places and uh, pray that um, coming out of spring break, we would come out of spring break with a posture of rest, a posture of stillness. Um, hopefully things are moving slower. We're not as anxious. Um, Lord, even if we are, even if we uh, maybe are caught up in the whirlwind that is um, school and assignments and social life and all these things, that you would meet us tonight by your grace, that um, regardless of what we believe, um, we would have an encounter with Jesus, that he would meet us uh, with his patience, with his um, love, and that we um, would be transformed by your spirit. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So, quick shout out. Uh, I do this, uh, I feel like, most weeks. Um, RUF Campus Minister, Bandy, Richie Sessions, and a few others um, I have stolen alive this content from. And so, uh, gotta, gotta credit my sources before I start. But um, one, of the, one of the stories Richie Sessions told, or it might have been a guy by the name of Matt Howell, um, is this guy by the name of John Cassiapo? John Cassiapo, who's the director of the Center for Cognitive and Social Neuroscience at the University of Chicago. Uh, he wrote this book. It's kind of, I guess, an older book now. It came out in 2009, but it's a book on loneliness. And uh, he's, a cog- you know, he's, a, he's a scientist, and he's doing all this research on loneliness. Um, and what he found were higher levels of... I'm going to be really embarrassed pronouncing this out loud, guys. Um, uh, epiphramine is the stress hormone, whatever, roll with it. You guys can roll your eyes, correct me later. Um, but he found higher levels of the stress hormone in the morning urine of lonely people. Um, so quite literally, like he's, he's saying like loneliness burrows deep. Uh, this is the quote he has. He says, when we drew blood from our older adults and analyzed their white cells, we found that loneliness somehow penetrated the deepest recesses of the cell to alter the way genes were being expressed. Um, so, like, loneliness not only affects your brain, it's not only, like, kind of a feeling you have that you just need to shrug off and get past and move, move beyond, right? Like, it, it basically, like, entirely alters the process of DNA transcription. Like, isn't that crazy? He's saying that there's scientific proof that loneliness affects and changes literally how your body physically operates. This isn't just like an emotional thing. Um, it's not even just a spiritual thing. Like it's a physical thing. In 2016, so a little bit more recently, the Surgeon General, like not a pastor, not a shrink, the Surgeon General, warned that Americans are, quote, facing an epidemic of loneliness and social isolation. And he even, he even related it to um, obesity and smoking and how it was actually a greater uh, detriment to middle-aged men, so not you, me, um, like their health long-term. Like loneliness was a greater threat to their health than smoking or obesity. Um, y'all, and I don't even have to point out, like this is a pre-COVID stat, right? Like 2016. This was before everybody kind of socially distanced themselves, right, for two years. And maybe to some of y'all, right, like this is kind of starting to sound like, well, why in a world where we've never been more connected through internet and social media, right, are we also simultaneously facing the greatest onslaught of loneliness known to mankind? 
I'm sure you probably have your answers to those questions, right? Um, tonight, though, I'm, I'm actually, asking a di- I'm actually I'm asking a different question. I'm asking the question, like, why is friendship so hard? Why is it so hard to, like, first make friends? But maybe even more importantly, like, why is it hard to then, like, keep them? Um, it's a different question because, like, I'm, I'm presupposing something here. I'm presupposing the fact that, like, you're made in the image of the triune God. Um, that you're made with a DNA that cries out and yearns for deep-rooted and substantive relationships. Like, it's, it's how you're made because it's who God is at his very core. He's relational. He's three persons and one God. Okay, so, like, it's because I presuppose that, that the question of why we are so isolated in our day and age, like, it actually doesn't really interest me as much. We can talk about it if you want. Um, it doesn't interest me because, like, I don't think an answer to that question actually does anything to, like, change you in the long run. You could say, well, you know, we're isolated because of social media. Like, it's, you know, all image crafting and all this kind of stuff. Well, then, like, maybe your response would be, well, just get rid of your social media, right? Like, if that's the problem, just get rid of it. It might help. But your loneliness remains. You could say, oh, well, we're isolated because of cancel culture or, like, political tension, well, like, the response then, right, would be something like, well, just, like, don't cancel people or maybe don't have political opinions. And maybe I don't have to tell you, but the loneliness still remains. And so I think the answer to our question then has, has to be, like, I guess the answer to our question, why is friendship so hard, has to be something connected not with, like, culture or our world, Um, But the answer is actually like something that's wrong with us and something that's wrong with our communities. And so those are my points tonight, you could say, is first what I'm calling unsafe community. And second, um, what I'm going to call healing community, unsafe community and healing community. Um, So starting off with Proverbs 18.24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so, right, put bluntly, surrounding yourself by, like, many people um, doesn't actually, like, translate into, like, youth thriving. Um, the most popular girls or boys on the playground aren't always the, the healthiest people, you could say. Um, right, in fact, Proverbs 18.24 is actually saying the opposite is true. Many companions is a sign that you're trying to hide from yourself, from others, and, and maybe from God. Like, in other words, a man of many companions may come to ruin because there is nobody who is actually close enough to him who sees him for who he is and who he is not. Uh, And there's actually a word for this. Um, The word's conceit, right? Pretending to be something when you're actually nothing. If I can surround myself with enough people, then maybe I can dupe everybody watching. Maybe I can even, like, dupe myself into believing that, like, I'm something when actually, like, deep down, I feel absolutely, incredibly empty and broken and insecure. T.S. Eliot says that conceit, he says it's fighting a never-ending struggle to think well of, your, to think well of yourself. Fighting a never-ending struggle to think well of yourself. 
Does, does that resonate with any of y'all? I think the real problem with conceit, though, is that it keeps us from being honest with ourselves. Um, it keeps us from actually seeing and feeling the, these deep insecurities, this loneliness. And that deep down, we, we actually don't like ourselves. Right? And so instead, if I keep enough people around me, I can pretend that I do like myself. And I do have everything I want and I need. Um, I think some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't, I'll use myself as an illustration. Um, At our wedding, Catherine and I had nine groomsmen and bridesmaids. Nine. I don't say that because I'm like, whoa, look how cool and popular I am. I say that because, like, well, one, never have that many people at a wedding party. Um, It's it's interesting. Um, Right? Like, it's, it's insane because... Like now, but even, even back then, even almost six years ago, out of those nine, there were probably only like a select handful of those guys who actually knew the depths of my heart. Um, like I thought they were all my friends. They're still great. Still awesome. Still my friends. I thought they were all my, my friends though. Y'all, y'all tracking? Like my, my deep rooted friends. Um, and I thought I had to honor all of them by like, making, like, make, making them groomsmen at my wedding. But in reality, like, I was actually confusing friendship for companionship. And please hear me, there's nothing wrong with companions. Like, companions are great, right? They're great, to have a fun, they're great to have around. They make life more fun. They make it more interesting. Um, but your drinking buddies are not the same as the friends who are going to cry with you over a breakup. Uh, companions are around for good times. Friends stick through it all. And doesn't that kind of sound like, like a Disney movie line, doesn't it? <laughs> um, companions are around for good times. Friends stick through it all. Um, but here's the issue, though. Here's the issue. is like, how do you make those sorts of friends? Like the ones, in the words of Proverbs, who are going to stick closer than a brother. I think the answer is actually like implicit within the later part of that verse is uh, we see that friends are contrasted with brothers. A friend who sticks close to another brother. Meaning like for as close as you are to your family, perhaps, right? There's a category of friendship that goes deeper than any relationship you have with your family. And this is because friendship is a choice. And that might seem obvious to some of y'all like, yeah. I know how friendship works, dude. Thanks. But the relationship you have like, with your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, right? Like, they were all bestowed upon you at birth. Like, you were forced into them, for better or for worse. There's a Drew Holcomb in the neighbor song I really love. It's called Family. And there's a line, and he goes, family. Uh, that's not what it is. But he, he goes, <laughs> he goes, he goes, uh, he goes, uh, um, you can't lose them. You don't choose them. They all have a song to sing, right? Like you can't lose your family, but you also don't choose your family. And there's blessings to that, but there's also drawbacks. It's because you don't really know if maybe the people in your family actually like you. They love you, but do they like you? Not true about friendship, is it? Your friends can ditch you for any reason whatsoever. We all experienced this in middle school, right? Just me? Y'all experience that? Right? Show up with the wrong clothes on, like the wrong sports team, 
Say the embarrassing thing. Donezo. You're gone. <laughs> Maybe the reason friendship is so hard is because, like, we all have PTSD from middle school. Um, totally a joke. Totally a joke. Um, but I think there is some truth here. I think, I think there is some truth. Right? You show up to college and you have no idea how you're going to make friends or what it's going to look like. And so you cautiously, you know, might get to know the people in your hall or in your classes. Maybe to some of your fr- like you freshmen, you're like, yeah, this was just a few months ago, dude. Like, I don't want to relive it yet. Um, all right, so it's why everybody wants to know, like, when they meet you, they, they're like, what's your major? Where are you from? All these kind of low bar questions, right? Because it's, it's the easiest way to, like, wade into friendship with actually taking any risk. Oh, you like to study this? Great. Instant friend, right? Study buddy. You're from the South, too? Boom. We like the same things. And that's how Eleanor and I became friends. It was great. My point is, right, all of you are pros at stumbling into low-risk friendships. You're pros at it, right? You're pros at feeling people out to see if they're, they're friend material. Nate seems like a sports fan. Maybe I can talk to him about Michigan stuff. Like, this is what we do all the time. And that's great if you don't want to get hurt. Or if you like, just broadly want to fit in, if you don't want to be weird. But what's tough about this approach is like, you actually sacrifice your agency to, to proactively choose your friends. And some of y'all like, might push back here and go, well, Robert, that's actually not true. Because like, I chose to be a part of this fraternity. Or I chose to be a part of this club. And I chose this club because it's a group of like-minded people. And... and I know it's a place where people are going to share my values. Like, I chose that. And I'll respond and say, well, that's great. But do the people there know you? Like, the real you? Like, the you that's sexually drawn to the same sex? Like, the you that just threw up their dinner because you're insecure about how you look? The you that is emotionally abused at home? Uniting with other people under the same banner of shared values does nothing to scratch the pit of loneliness that you feel. Put another way, right, just because you guys are all students at the University of Michigan with 30,000 other people your exact same age, and we all happen to root for the same football team, right, like that does not mean everybody here will be or should be your friend. That's, that's obvious, right? I don't think any disagreement there. Then why do we think that just because we participate in a professional fraternity with other people that they are somehow now our friends? Um, I'm not picking on professional fraternities, right? Like the same could be said about Christian organizations. All right, if you're a Christian, you come to RUF because there are people here who share your values or whatever. That does, that does not mean everybody here should be your friend. In fact, hot take, hot take here for a second, is that churches and religious communities are oftentimes some of the most unsafe communities there are out there. Why? Because they're oftentimes the least likely place that you actually feel freed to be yourself. That you'll feel freed to actually be a sinner. Freed to be honest about yourself. Freed to get to know yourself, and free to actually deeply, wholeheartedly get to know other people. Uh, my hunch is that if Jesus feels far away from you tonight, friends, 
It might be because nobody actually knows you. Or nobody actually knows parts of you. Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's a, he's a German pastor who was martyred by Adolf Hitler in 1945. This is what he has to say about unsafe communities, specifically churches. Um, he, call, he calls them pious fellowships. This is what he says. He says, quote, the pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are, unthink- are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy, when the reality is that we are sinners, all of us. End quote. You know what's sad? I've been around the church long enough to actually see this. Um, is that when someone is caught in like a scandal or something? Um, you know what they do? They leave. It's like, oh, you're a sinner? Peace out. We don't want you here. Y'all, what does this say about the church? You know what it says? It says we're dripping with conceit. We're pretending to be something that we actually aren't in reality. And as long as you can play the game, you're good to go. Right? But as soon as you're exposed to being an alcoholic, or right, like a bundle full of anxiety, the game over. Peace out. I think, unfortunately, right, there are going to be people who sit in pews for decades and never draw near to Jesus. You know why? Conceit. It keeps them from being honest with themselves and other people about who they actually are. If you can't be honest with the fact that you're a sinner, then you will never know Jesus. The real Jesus. The Jesus who is the friend of sinners. The Jesus who, as Paul writes in Romans, died for us while we were still sinners. Not when you became, you know, a holy roller Christian type or whatever. No, he died for you while we were still sinners. But if you can't be a sinner, then you can't be freed to be a sinner, right? Then what power is there in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Like, you're literally missing one of the two main ingredients. So Bonhoeffer essentially levels with us. He says, dare to be a sinner. It takes an amazing amount of risk and courage to do so, right? And some of you might be thinking, right, like, here's another sermon where Robert's going to challenge me to be vulnerable. He does this a lot. (laughs) That's partially true. But what I'm trying to underscore this time is the reality of why you actually don't get vulnerable. I think a lot of you guys really want to get vulnerable. I'm trying to underscore why you don't is because many of you can't even fathom telling somebody about the specifics of your deep pain. Because like your entire life has been survival mode. No place ever really felt like you could dare to be a sinner, in the words of Bonhoeffer. Family? Well, kind of, but... Not really. I had to make straight A's. No failure was accepted, either explicitly or implicitly. Church, definitely not. I had to be the perfect Christian kid who never did anything bad. 
Clubs, definitely not, right? Like, you got to lead them if you're going to get into Michigan. You got to lead them if you're going to get into med school. There's no room for you to mess up. The pressure, y'all. So much pressure. Right? Push it down. Forget any pain you might feel. Never share with anybody. Be strong. Get by. Survive. I mean, I'll be in one-on-ones with you guys. I'll even say stuff like, wow, that sounds really lonely. And you guys will say stuff like, oh, no, it's fine. It's like, I did. It's whatever. Like, I don't even think there are categories here because you guys are so used to having to survive and thrive and be the leaders and the best. And you guys are. Y'all have phenomenal brains. Every single one of you. But your brains can't heal this issue. Unsafe community is merciless. Merciless and completely antithetical to any hope of transformation. And so what does a healthy friendship and a healing community look like? Again, this is my second point, right? Proverbs 18.24 uses one particular verb to describe a friend. Right? It says that a friend sticks. A friend sticks closer than a brother. And the best picture I have of a sticky friendship... It's actually from the New Testament book of Galatians. I wanted to wow you guys with a crazy cool illustration, but then I was like, I'm just going to use the Bible. Um, I almost had Katie read it for us tonight because um, it's that important. Um, But picking up in Galatians 5, verse 24, verse 25, this is right after the Apostle Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Maybe your mom has like etched under a wall somewhere. Um, This is right after that. He says, quote, if we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. End quote. I think what's interesting if you peel back these five verses uh, is that Paul seems to be directly contrasting conceit, that thing we just talked about, with bearing one another's burdens. Right? Which makes sense if you think about it. If conceit is pretending to be something when you're actually not, right, then to actively be bearing someone's burdens is to come face to face with reality. Right? It's to come face to face with the burden of not having it together. That's a burden. That sucks. Coming face to face with the reality that you are a sinner, right? Like, that's a burden. And either you bear the load of that weight yourself or you have others help you. It's pretty black and white. Um, And I think the unfortunate reality is that because most of us surround ourselves probably with more companions than we do friends, there's actually no one there to help bear the weight of our broken stories. It's all up to you. And that feels incredibly lonely. And you can be in a room full of people who are your friends and feel that itching deep down in the pit of your soul. Why does no one know me? But it's not not only lonely, it's, it's exhausting. To face the dark reality day in and day out by yourself that no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, your depression just won't go away. 
So when Paul makes one simple application of the Christian life that for those who live by the Spirit ought to bear one another's burdens, I'm going to suggest, like, suggest that we actually don't even really know what he's saying. Like, we don't even really have a category for that. Because he's saying, like, not only is the church, the household of God, a place like RUF supposed to be the kind of safe community where you are free to be a sinner, where I can stand up here and be like, y'all, I am the most insecure hot mess I know. I'm happy to tell you all about it. Let's grab coffee. You're not only free to be a sinner, but it should also be the kind of community where our burdens are shared among one another. And here, here's what this means, is that your porn addiction becomes my porn addiction. Your irrational and embarrassing anger outbursts are now my irrational and anger outbursts. I can't just, like, lop you off on the side and be like, oh... It kind of comes to RUF sometimes, but like sidestep it, right? What you do and, and like what you say and how you think, it all affects me. It all affects each other. It is inherently my business. And y'all, I just like, I wish this wasn't true. I'm just being honest with you. I wish this wasn't true. I wish I could just do like the whole me and Jesus thing where I confess all my stuff to him because, you know, he's Jesus, and he forgives me, and we just do life together over here. And then I come over here, I see you guys, and I interact with you guys, and, like, I can be cool. You don't actually have to, like, see the real me, like, the insecure me, the weird me. But the normative way that God extends mercy and grace to you, this is, this is the normative way of how God works in your life. You ready for it? It's through your friendships. It's in the context of a deep friendship where someone else is eager to bear your burdens with you. Someone hears about your stuff and goes, oh man, I want to hear more. Tell me more. Because when we bear each other's burdens, it does, it does two things. I'm not just saying this. It does two things. One, right, it reminds you of who you actually are. You're actually like, you're a sinner in need of grace. You actually got stuff. You can't be conceited. You can't hide. You can't pretend you're something you're not, right? Second thing it does, though, is that it demonstrates to you that you are more loved and cared for than you could ever think or imagine. I mean, this is why, like, we idolize marriage, right? Is to think of someone who could draw so near to me to, like, know all my stuff and not leave me. Seems, that seems too good to be true but that doesn't have to be marriage. That can be friendship. Right? And and the rub, though, the rub, though, with this is that you can't bear someone else's burdens or expect someone else to allow you to bear their burdens if they don't first know that, like, you are 100% in their corner. It's like me walking up to somebody I know for the first time and being like, dude, just confess your deepest, like, that's just not going to work. They have to know that you love them, which means healthy friendships are intimate. And and look, like I purposely use that word. You guys can giggle all you want. Like friendships are intimate. And the biggest lie our culture has told you is that the height of relationship with another human being is in a romantic setting. It's in a romantic context. Right? It's, why, it's why we sexualize everything. Everything is sexual. 
And to give you an example of like what I'm talking about, the, the best picture for the kind of intimate friendship you were made for is in 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. When we read that King David was knit to his friend Jonathan and that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. There's even a line uh, later on where it says that, um, um, well, they kiss each, they, they kiss each other and, and that um, David, or Jonathan's love to David was greater than that of a woman. And you're thinking, whoa, right? Because like we make this into this, this huge sexual deal where it has to be romantic if it's that deep. And what if that's just a healthy category for friendship? Do you have a friend that you love so deeply that it can be said that your soul is knit to theirs? They know everything there is to know about you and you can barge into their life at any moment of the day and demand time with them because you just need to vent or process. I mean, that's, that's kind of like what I have with my wife, right? But again, why does that have to be limited to marriage? My guess is that you, you, you might have a friend like this. You might not. Here's, here's one layer deeper, though. Is how many of y'all have a friend who is the who has the right to completely call you out? Who you have given permission to say, dude, do that. <laughs> Tell me like it is. One of my good friends, Will, he's the campus minister at school in Tennessee. Um, he literally, a few hours ago, <laughs> told me that I was being overly cynical and that I needed to repent. <laughs> I was like, dang it, Will, shut up, man. I don't want to give you any more permission to do that, dude. Not before large group. Um, but don't you see, like, this is what intimacy looks like? Like, you need the friend who's going to sit and cry with you? Yes, a thousand percent. Guys, too. But you also need the friend who loves you so much that she is willing to say the hard thing because you are more important to her than your relationship with her. Does that make sense? She is willing to risk your relationship because she loves you more than she does her relationship with you. You have a friend like that? Right? The burden of calling you out isn't a burden to her because she wants to walk with you through it. It's a delight to her to know that side to you. One of my favorite quotes is from uh, an author named Oscar Wilde. He says, I remember this when my campus minister preached on this sermon in college. This quote was so memorable. He says, a true friend stabs you in the front, not the back. A true friend stabs you in the front, not the back. And really, that's all Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. All right, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. I think half of y'all are looking at me like, cool dude, but I still don't even know where to like practically start. I don't know how to make friends like this. And so I'm going to close by getting practical. C.S. Lewis, um, you guys might have heard him. C.S. Lewis says, friendship, says friendship must be about something. 
That is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. End quote. Picture Michael Scott from The Office. <laughs> going nowhere just wants friends. He wants to have like 100 kids because then he'll have 100 friends. But he doesn't ever get any, right? I think this should raise the question for you tonight, regardless of what you believe, of where you're coming from. What are your friendships about? Like, where are they going? What's the purpose of them? The purpose is just to have a good time and to go out in the town and hit up bricks. That might be fun. But is, is there anything of substance there? Is there any purpose to them? Is there any kind of mission to it? Y'all catching my drift here? And here's where for the Christian, right, like, there is ultimate purpose for your friendships. When two Christians become friends, they no longer are content with just playing video games and hanging out, even though that's still fun. Their friendship has a mission to it now. A mission soaked with one basic principle, to be known is to be loved. And the only way, like, you will actually stick to your friends and willingly bear the weight of their burdens is if Jesus did what he said he did. You can stick to your friends because Jesus was betrayed by his. You can bear the weight of their burdens because Jesus has borne the weight of yours. Don't you, don't you see? If this isn't true, then you only have a very feeble, broken ability to actually care for people. But if this is true, then the power to stick with your like people who are hard to love, all of us, all of us tonight are hard to love. We got stuff. And the power your friends have to stick with you through thick and thin isn't actually their power, isn't actually your power. It's the power of the one who lives inside of you by faith and who is miraculously changing you and your friends by his grace to actually love people with heavy burdens. I mean, I mean, like, seriously, why else would you want to hear about the deep, dark secrets of your friend's life? Why else would you want to hear about this stuff if it wasn't with the goal of displaying what Jesus is like to them? To display his patience. To give them an experience of his smile. To have them feel his redemptive touch. It's only with the friend of sinners that you can practically be the friend that you both want and also, and also want to be. So let's pray. Father in heaven, um, thank you for our friends. Thank you for the opportunities we have to love our friends. Forgive us for all the ways in which we can at times fail our friends. Would you give us the grace to move toward one another tonight? That our youth would be a place where we could bear one another's burdens. That this place would be safe to be a sinner. That we could um, actually expose our fool selves and not our pious selves or the selves that we want people to see. Um, help us, Lord. We, we need to be pushed into deeper friendship.
We need it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.